Please be seated. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text for this morning from the first chapter of St. Luke verses 46 through 48, just a few verses after today's gospel which reports the visitation of the angel Gabriel to the Virgin Mary as you heard not only in the gospel but as the choir so beautifully sang it that Mary then afterward visits her relative Elizabeth who upon hearing Mary's greeting cries out that amazing confession of faith what is it that the mother of my Lord should come on to me and after that Mary responds with these words and she says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowest state of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations shall call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things to me. Holy is his name. This is our text, dear friends in Christ. Those words that you just heard are known by us all as the Magnificat. And the reason that the song of Mary that we just heard is called the Magnificat is because it comes from the first word of the Latin phrase, that the, which Latin being the ecclesiastical language of the church for generations, that the church then would often sing in the ages past, Magnificat anima mea dominum, my soul magnifies the Lord. Speaking of the Magnificat, that song that Mary sang, someone once said the Magnificat of the Virgin Mary is just like an aria in an opera. You have all of the dramatic excitement of the opera that's being sung and then all of a sudden right in the midst of it you've got this aria, this solo that's sung and it's though it's being sung in order to give you a chance to pause, in order to give you a chance to collect all of the, the excitement of the things that are happening, to give you a breath, if you will. And that's just what happened indeed in our text for this morning. All of the action that was taking place, this phenomenal and divine action taking place, reported in the gospel, reported and read this morning, the angel Gabriel coming to a little town, Nazareth, announcing a phenomenal message to a small, young, probably undoubtedly a teenaged girl named Mary. An announcement that would be hard indeed for anyone to believe, but she believes it. She says, let it be unto me as it has been said. But she's told that she's going to give birth to him for whom generations had been waiting. Him to whom Hebrew mothers for generations would have loved to have been the mother. The son of the Most High God, the angel Gabriel said, who would reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there would be no end in fulfillment of the prophecy that we heard even in the Old Testament lesson today. What an unparalleled event in all of human history. What an awesome proclamation and it's all being made to this young teenage girl, unassuming as she was. The high point in God's magnum opus and his greatest work is about to take place. God is going to become man. 
And then, as an aria and an opera, as a near pause in the dramatic action that's taking place so that you can catch a breath with all of the excitement of it all and consider all that's happening before the most stirring and the most stunning event in human history is going to take place, that God himself becomes man, then comes this simple but this beautiful solo of the Virgin Mary, this aria of praise. This song offered by the one who the church throughout the ages has rightly called the mother of God, because that's who she is. My soul, she sings, magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Mary is moved by that same Holy Spirit who overshadows her and enables her to become, indeed, the mother of God. That same Holy Spirit who overshadows her, who miraculously unites cells of her humanity with deity. Mary is moved at the thought of it all to magnify the Lord. And that verb magnify really says it all as you stop to think about the song that she sings, doesn't it? Think about the word magnify. Luther does as he thinks about the Magnificat that Mary sang. Luther says, just as a book title indicates what is the contents of the book, so this word magnifies is used by Mary to indicate what her hymn of praise is really all about. Namely, he says, she magnifies the great works that the Lord was doing to her, the mighty deeds of God. Or as someone else has so beautifully put it, Mary, in this song, is a magnifier. As a magnifying glass enlarges an image, so Mary here magnifies the Lord. Not herself, but her Lord. She would decrease as her son would increase. Those words sound familiar because they're the words of John the Baptist, too, who had foretold the coming of this Christ. Even as John the Baptist said, I must decrease and he, Christ, increase, so also Mary would do the same. She would decrease as her son increases. And she does. You search the Gospels. And after the childhood of Jesus, you hear very little bit about the Virgin Mary. You hear about her at the wedding of Cana in Galilee. You hear a bit about her at that embarrassing time when she thought that Jesus had lost his mind and she goes then with Jesus' brothers to take, quote, custody of him, as the scriptures tell us. You hear about her with brief mention at the cross as she's standing there with the Apostle John, but apart from those few brief times, little at all is said about Mary. And in the epistles of the New Testament, there's no mention made of her with the exception just by a nominal reference that we heard in, in, the, in, the, in the epistle lesson for today, to be sure she was pleased to have it that way. I must decrease too, she must have thought, even as he must increase. And that's why my soul magnifies the Lord, enlarges him, as I am diminished through this, though all generations shall indeed call me blessed. She magnifies the Lord. And Mary would have it no other way. Indeed, God had looked upon her lowliness. And it's not because of that lowliness that he chose her, as though there is some merit even in the lowliness of a person. But it's despite 
not because of, but despite that lowliness of her station in life, despite the fact that she's but a very young woman who has no claim to social status that has come by some known family name, despite the fact that she is a born sinner, had sinned often, and could lay no claim to anything that she'd ever done at all to merit his grace and his favor, despite it all, God had, because of what the angel said, God had chosen her to bear in her sinful body the one who would bear in his sinless body her sins and your sins and the sins of the whole world. Mary's Magnificat, her magnifying the Lord, resounds from the innermost being of Mary, of every fiber of her being, crying forth, she says in the very next line of her hymn, My soul magnifies the Lord because he has regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. Mary here confesses, Luther says, that the foremost work of God did for her was to regard her. In the Greek, the word there is epiblepsin. It literally means to look upon someone, to look upon someone with favor. And that indeed, Luther says, is what God did. The greatest of all of his works, that upon which, Luther says, the rest depends and from which they all derive for where it comes to pass that God turns his face towards someone, looks favorably upon someone, there is nothing but grace and there is nothing but salvation after which all gifts and all works follow. And so it is that we too are the most blessed people on the face of planet Earth to be regarded by the Lord, to be epiblepsin by him, to be, to be looked upon by the Lord in his grace and his mercy, his face turned toward us as it does week in and week out, and he gives us that beautiful benediction at the end of the service. Surely not because of who we are, not because of anything that we've done, for that would only cause him to turn his face away from us and show us his back. No, his face is turned toward us because of what he has done for us through his only begotten, through his son, through him, through his death upon the cross, he has made us his own, he's made us holy, he has made us like Mary, undeserving bearers of the Son of God. You, as much as Mary, are a bearer of the Son of God. To be sure, she alone is the one who would bear him within her womb for those nine months and carry him as her own. And for that reason, all generations shall call me blessed, as she said. But his word and his spirit have done unbelievable things to you. They've washed over you in baptism. They've made you holy in Christ, claiming you as his own, making you holy bearers of Christ yourself, because everyone who has been baptized into Christ has, the scripture says, put on Christ. You are a Christ-bearer, a Christian. He dwells as closely to us as clothes do to flesh. Even more than that, Scripture says that he even now dwells within us, even upon our lips and in our mouths and in our being and in our essence as we receive here at his altar, his very body and his very blood. Fulfilling that which the prophet of old said that he would be Emmanuel, God with us.
Is it any wonder that God the Father now turns then his face toward us when his own Son is with you and in you and for you? He turns his face in favor toward you because you have his Son with you. Look at those prepositions that I just used. Note the wonderful prepositions. God's face toward us. God with us. Jesus upon us and in us. This is Emmanuel, God with us, as the prophet said. And this is why we with Mary in the season have every reason to do in the days to come as we celebrate his incarnation, his coming in the flesh, we have every reason to do exactly what Mary did to say with Mary of old, my soul doth magnify the Lord and my spirit too rejoices in God my Savior for he has regarded the low estate of his servant and despite that he has turned his face toward me. God has noticed in his mercy and grace all of the, the nobodies of this world, not because they are nobodies, but because of his grace. And in his grace and because of the work of his son, he has again made something out of nothing. And he kindly calls those of us he has made into something through his son, he calls us his own. A couple of months ago, when my wife and I returned from visiting her mother in Tennessee, we flew into San Jose, as so many of you have, and coming in in the evening hours. As I've mentioned before, you, you come in and you fly in, and you see that phenomenal scene down below you with millions and millions of lights that are twinkling there in that brisk evening air. And you look out the window of the plane and you see all of that, and you marvel at the number of people that are down there below because we're so caught in their individual lives and we live down here. But from that perspective up there, we look down and we see the outline of the highways and the outline of the streets and the neighborhoods and the homes where millions of people live. People like you going through the motions of everyday life, struggling with millions of problems encountered by people like us. People that you don't know. And people that don't know you and you see it all and you marvel at it all and suddenly, what do you feel? Suddenly, you feel so small. You feel just about insignificant in the awesome vastness of it all. One face among billions, you think. One family among millions. Just one ordinary life in the midst of so many ordinary people that could so easily leave one feeling as a nobody going unnoticed at all. But friends, the Advent message is, God has noticed. All of the unknown nobodies of the world, he's noticed this unknown teenage girl who lived out in the hill country of Galilee, he made her the very mother of his son. He noticed the little town of Bethlehem that was least among all of the tribes of Judah, hidden in the shadows of the glories of nearby Jerusalem. He noticed it. And yet out of Bethlehem would go forth one, Scripture says, whose goings forth are from long ago, and yea, even from the days of eternity, one who would be great even unto the ends of the earth. He noticed. And bypassing the high and the mighty kings and the governors of Jerusalem, God sends a magnificent multitude of heavenly hosts, not to them, but to a bunch of unnoticed shepherds, out in the field who were keeping watch over their flocks by night. 
And with the lowly Lady Mary and her humble husband Joseph, the eyes of the shepherds are the first to behold the face of God. The first to behold the visible face there of God. God literally there in Christ turning his face toward the lowliest. So it was that Mary said, God has regarded us. God has graciously turned his face toward us, identifying self with the likes of us, with sinners like you and me and nobodies like the poor and the grieving widow whose son he raised from the dead. Nobodies like the penitent prostitute who with tears of regret is forgiven by him. Nobodies like the ten leprous outcasts of society whom he heals and then he sets free from their prison without bars. Nobodies like the blind beggar who sat unnoticed for years at the city's gate until Jesus noticed him and opened his eyes so that he could see sights which to him had been only sounds before. Advent is that time that prepares us to rightly celebrate the birth of the one who identified himself with nobodies like the thief on the cross beside him, to whom he said, Today you shall be with me in paradise, the birth of the one, our Lord Jesus Christ, who in a very real sense became a nobody on the cross, forsaken even by his Father so that he could pay for everybody's sins. So you see, in Christ, all of us nobodies to the world are made somebodies to the whole host of heaven and to heaven's God. What love, St. John says, the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons and the daughters of God. He raises up the poor from the dust, Scripture says. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit down with princes and kings. He has regarded, Mary says, the lowest state of his handmaiden, and he hath exalted those of low degree. Would we not then, with her, rightly sing this song, because it is ours, would we not then with her gratefully say, My soul doth magnify the same Lord, and my spirit rejoices in him as my Savior, for he hath done great things for me, and holy is his name. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.